Hi, it's G and Yanka from Amazing Parenting and the Practical Parenting Podcast. And we're really excited today to be online and bringing you an interview with our internet friend, Stephen. So, Stephen, where are you right now? Right now, I'm in Kharkov, Ukraine. People might not know much about Kharkov, but it's the second largest city in Ukraine. Many more people know Kiev. But Kharkov is the is on the eastern part of the country, not very far from the Russian border. Okay, fantastic. And uh, we al- we already covered the weather in the pre-interview, so we're not going to talk about <laughs> about it now. So uh, we're here to talk about parenting and parenting experiences today. Um, so the first important question is: Are you a parent? Yes, I'm a parent. I have two lovely little children, one boy who's six years old and my girl who's five years old. Okay, super cool. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, how you spend your time with your children? Well, I, I guess the reason why we're having this interview is probably because I homeschool, so my kids are not enrolled in any formal school. And fortunately, I am able, I work from my home also, so I work through the internet. So that means I'm able to spend a lot of time with them. And so we spend our time uh, doing many learning activities and many, let's say, extracurricular activities and also many athletic activities. So my we do a lot of, like, for example, mathematics. Mathematics is probably one of our biggest activities. Um, we're enrolled in a separate class that uh, helps kids do mathematics really quickly. As well, my son is in chess. He has chess three times a week. My daughter is in dance. She has dance twice a week. And we have an art teacher who comes over two to three times a week. And they do lots of art. And also have a, a woman who comes over and helps us helps me with speaking them speaking Ukrainian and Russian. They speak Russian fluently, but in this part of the country, not everybody speaks Ukrainian on a daily basis. So uh, they, learn, they learn Ukrainian as well, which is quite close to Russian, but it's still another language. Well, that's a huge scope of information. Mathematics, art, uh, sports, dance, languages... Mm. Um, that's a huge responsibility for, for a parent to take on. So, yeah. uh, so how, how do you manage to, to do that? Well, I think that the key thing is through great relationships with people. Um, the people who, for example, I mentioned that there's our teacher who comes over and she's been helping me do this art for now literally over three years. And I actually didn't even mention a piano lessons also. So piano lessons also, my, the person who's been teaching them the piano has also been w- with me for like three years. So teaching my son basically when he was like three years old and my daughter was two and a half just banging on the piano a little bit. Um, and so you know, some of the things have been formal classes like the mathematics, for example, it's been a formal class, but I have emphasized mathematics from the start. So uh, that's been probably my own project before the formal class. But now in the formal class, it's a formal class with a formal curriculum. 
as well as chess is a form of like chess school. Uh, not like all day, but as I said, three times a week. So I think it's just finding people that you're really comfortable with and can trust to help out in the process. I mean, I, I do a lot myself, but I don't, you know, I don't do absolutely everything, particularly like art. I'm not the greatest artist. Uh, and I don't necessarily have the patience to teach them art, especially given that I don't even know art so well. So it's great to have somebody who I can completely trust, who's very nurturing, who's very, who loves them very much. As I said, it's been three years, so she's like been with them since they're like actually little babies, and uh, it's really quite a great relationship. How would you compare what you do to? to how other parents parent. Uh, this is from the perspective oh. of, 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 of doing homeschooling, taking on a massive yeah, yeah, yeah. responsibility with, with your children there. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest difference between my parenting perspective and other parenting perspectives, or at least parenting, I would say, routines that I see, is I think that most parents generally view childhood as this kind of magical time or at least uh, childhood before school as this magical time where they just play and they just play and they don't do much else other than play but like they don't really try to do much learning activities because learning is for school so it's like you play and then when education comes then you kind of ship your kids off to maybe kindergarten or school. So it's like, you know, what do we do? Basically, parents assume full responsibility for teaching them how to speak. So they speak, they speak, they speak, they speak, they speak. Mama's in the stroller talking to the babies, blah, 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 blah. They're talking. They're, so they assume 100% responsibility for teaching them how to speak, but almost nothing else. So it's like, we, I'll teach you how to speak, then you play, and then... Education, other than language, really takes place in school. So my approach is much different because my approach has been that from the time children are born, they're learning. They're learning immediately. Their brains are in the most fertile period of development from zero to six years old. And so that's why they're learning languages. That's why they're able to learn languages so quickly. But they can learn actually much more. So it's a time when very much their educational capacity is significantly shaped. Their, um, a lot of their childhood experience, their brain is, is in the process of developing. So how that develops, I think, is very important. So that's why from the start, I've given them a lot of stimulus, exposed them to a lot of different things, thinking that this may help and shape their personality at a time when their brain is in the biggest period of development. And I don't think that, for example, uh, from the point of you know six years and older, that the educational responsibility rests with the schools. So I think that um, I, as a parent, assume much greater responsibility for my kids' education than I'm willing to just delegate full throttle. So I can put them in schools, I mean, or like in classes or things like that, delegating portions of the responsibility, but the overall responsibility for my kids' education is, is myself. I would like to ask, what's your overall approach to homeschooling? Because, you know, there are, there are different approaches. There's the unschooling that goes all with the enjoyment of the kids, whatever they enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, do you like, have some kind of work or drills that the kids don't yeah, enjoy? Yeah, I do. do um, well, I think that 
the reality is is that as I just explained, um, my approach has been on this notion of how the brain develops and so this developmental potential. So as a result, I've done things with them before they knew how to speak. I did like educational kind of things before they knew how to speak. So flashcards when they were like maybe months old, um, you know, talking to them about maybe I have like, you know, 600, 700 different flashcards and saying, well, this is a cow, this is a pig, this is a, and talking to them like that. And at the same time, you know, then I would put them down and I would say, okay, you know, before they could speak, okay, can you give me the pig? And then they would give me the card that's the pig. Can you show me the cow? And they would give me the card. So that was even pre-language. So we've always done these kind of educational kind of things. So they don't really know that there's something abnormal about it. So we've always done academic kind of things. And so when people say, well, you know, maybe they don't really like it. They don't really know not to like it because they think that it's completely normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe kids don't like to brush their teeth at a certain point, but then they realize they have to brush their teeth. They stop complaining about it because they know they have to brush their teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that kind of thing. So we don't really, I don't encounter that kind of resistance to saying, okay, like, for example, what we do now, which maybe people would find this a little bit strange or maybe far advanced, is every day, for example, both my son and daughter I pick a part of a children's encyclopedia and then they copy it. They copy the portion on a piece of paper. So that way they really understand what they're reading, they're practicing writing, and then they tell me exactly, you know, I pick what you're going to copy and then they tell me what they've learned in that thing. So, you know, talking about breathing or talking about the brain or talking about digestive system, something like that. And so, um, you know, maybe a kid who's unschooled or another kid may say, oh, that's just so boring. But my kids don't know that it's boring. In fact, my daughter's like, you know, uh, where Daddy, when you go to the gym, I wanted, I wanted to copy something out of the encyclopedia. And she okay. said that last night at like 12 o'clock at night. So I think it, it just depends on the perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I know this. I, have, I can't say I've delved into the unschooling process significantly. I've, I have some friends who post things about unschooling and they're doing fun things. They're going outside you know, spending time in the mud or doing something. But I, I don't think that uh, there's any conflict with that versus other things. I think kids should play in the mud. They should be outside. They should. Do the, I think that's a part of, I don't say the schooling experience, but it's certainly got to be part of the educational experience. So I'm less focusing on the school versus unschooling, the whole debate between the, and rather just the education or the life experience of the child, everything in total. Oh, that's wonderful. Where, where do you think that this this approach, your approach, comes mm-hmm. from? Is it uh, something that you've picked up along the way, and is it uh, is it different from the experiences you had when you grew up with? Uh, yeah, with it's quite different. I I had a completely opposite experience. Um, okay. My experience was that my mother was a, a teacher. She had. Uh, gotten two master's degrees in child psychology and special education. As I said, she was a teacher herself. And I was put into literally like the most expensive, prestigious school from pre-kindergarten. So like it's, it's a school called like Dalton in New York City where like many of the children of stars and celebrities and rich people go. So for example, to go into pre-kindergarten, it's about 40,000 US dollars a year um, from the start. And so... You know, and they, but it prides itself as a very progressive school. 
So a lot of the people go, you know, even in small groups from my very small childhood classes, I ended up going to Yale University. I met many, I didn't go there all the way through, but many of the people in my little first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade classes were ended up at Yale University out of, let's say, a class of 20 kids, maybe like five went to just Yale itself. So, um, and then, but at the same time, because of my mother's experience, I had to do like double the work. So I would go to school, I would get homework, and then I would come home, and then my mother would give me separate homework. And so I was like very academically driven, and then even like I skipped from first to third grade. So it's like, you know, I was, you know so, but it was, but, but at the same time, I didn't have a great relationship with my mother. I didn't like it. I didn't like her. I didn't like it. I didn't like the, I didn't like having to do all the work. And, but at the same time, I realized there was a benefit because I did kind of skip classes. I was always getting good grades. School was very easy for me. I did go to good schools at the end. So there was a certain advantage there, but I didn't like the process. So I said, when I have kids, I want them to know that you can learn a lot and you can accomplish like maybe amazing things. But the important thing is that it has to be enjoyable because it doesn't help if you have great you know, uh, educational capacities, but you don't have a good relationship with your mother. It's it's not a good trade-off. It's certainly not one that I would want for my kids. You know, I want them to have the best of both worlds. So for me, you know, I inherited this very, very, very strong educational focus. But at the same time, I said, you know, it's really important that first our relationship is is really good and they have fun and they smile. You know, that they, they, we can do things together. So the that part of it was missing from my childhood. So that's something that I emphasize maybe, you know, triple, a triple emphasis in my education or, or my, you know, parenting relationship with my kids and their educational experience. Yeah, I think it's really important for parents to, to, to put their children in, in a situation where they can enjoy what is happening rather than, rather than force and push their children uh, into certain... Yeah, so even though, for example, I might have listed so many, so many, so many activities, it doesn't feel rushed, it doesn't feel hectic, it doesn't feel like you have this term helicopter parenting or people you know taking them from one place to another and and this amazingly chaotic schedule it actually doesn't feel very stressful at all and so for me that's very important and a lot of these lessons that I'm talking about literally take place at home so people are coming to us and just knocking on the door and then something begins so it's not like they're we're commuting from one place to another and stuff like that so they're even tired going there and coming back so it's not like that at all so the, the helicopter parenting situation is when the parents are picking their kids up here, dropping them off there, picking their kids up in one place, dropping them well, off Well, also, there. just also even hovering over everything they do and also being in kind of constant phone contact so that the kids, so I think helicopter parenting can be referred to many different things, taking mm -hmm. them different places and also, you know, uh, being in constant phone contact or nearby phone contact and also just supervising everything they do. So not really allowing the kids to develop an independent sense of self and also independent problem solving skills because the parent is always solving the problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a parent, how does a, how does a parent know that the, the kids are in, enjoying what, what is happening? Uh, how do the kids know that? Uh, sorry, how do the parents know that uh, that it's 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 working, right? Because maybe just as a thought, maybe your your mother thought maybe that you are enjoying what you were doing. For no, she didn't think so. I, I think that I think that you know people like literally had this experience when um, we have what we call these grandmothers, babushkas, and they sit outside of the door, and uh, you know I have we have a dog, and. Uh, like the you know the dog plays inside the home, and 
then we go out for walking and then the dog is really happy cooked to go outside because they like having they like going outside and running around so you know i go out with my dog and my dog is like like just happy happy and these babushkas who see me as this foreigner and always kind of imagine the worst are like oh the dog is afraid the dog is afraid i said you know i said babushki my dog is not afraid of me the dog is is barking because he's happy mm-hmm. and the babushka sit there how do you know <laughs> like it's my dog like, i know we live together i know my dog is happy like is barking out of happiness like you wouldn't ask some other person how do you know the emotions of the dog like you know that i know the emotion he's happy like you see it and the same with my kids like if i can tell my dog is happy then i can tell like you know my child is happy. They smile. They do things like they they let you know if they're happy. They say they're happy. They say that they're not happy. So, you know, I think that we have a long relationship with dogs. We have even closer relationships to our children. Yeah. Are you happy, Sabrina? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I know I know that look perfectly. We have, we have, we have, we have a daughter who's uh, five and when she wakes up in the morning she sort of has that sort of kind of dozed yeah <laughs> yeah i got to try to focus on where i am <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it was i gave a very roundabout answer to say that if you have good communication with your kids they you can tell <laughs> they whether they're happy or not and if not they can tell you if they're happy or not yeah that's great let me let me take a little step back f- for for a I second. Go, I'm, take about to go take a pee and eat a banana. Okay. I'm I'm in I'm interested to to know why why would parents pay so much money to send their children to uh to a special school? You talked about uh, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, I don't know. It's like uh, well, maybe well-known people, maybe people who have more resources want to send their kids. So the school obviously provides something different or should if yeah certainly that, it does that much money so what is the difference of that that kind of school well you know i think that part of it is uh, an exclusionary factor okay. of just being at a certain level where you know like for example you know you know like calvin klein jeans right Calvin, like you know, his Calvin Klein's daughter Marcy Klein was in my class. You know, it's okay. like these people. You know, if you like Revlon uh, perfumes, like this guy Charles Revlon, the founder mm. of Revlon, his granddaughter is like in my class. Like these mm. people, and so you get these people who I can keep on going and saying mm. names. Like Robert Redford's son was like in the grade ahead. Like you can just keep on going, and so part of it is is just that when you just you can just almost pick some price that overwhelming amount of people can't pay and other people it doesn't matter what the price is like, you know if you said a hundred thousand dollars a year those people would be able to pay it like it doesn't really matter but for other people they care like they're like oh, wait a minute and so part of it is is an exclusionary factor um and but it also amounts to like low student uh, teacher ratio mm-hmm. so that you have maybe you know eight students to the teacher mm-hmm. so if you have a class of you know 20 kids mm-hmm. and you have like three teachers mm-hmm. so you can have three different groups so yeah. um, and, then, and, then, and then just 
it just is like where you get the sense. And also, you know, even going to people's houses, people would invite me over, you know, to their house. You get a sense that there's just like no limit. You know, like you go to somebody's house and you go in the elevator, but the whole floor of the building is their house. So there's just like one door, and you know, it's like the whole the whole floor is their house. You know, and sometimes you literally, I go to somebody's house, and they would have a one person's house. They have a hole cut out in a bar, so they can slide from one floor down to the next floor underneath. In an apartment building in New York City, you just get a sense that like there's just no limit. Oh my so, God. you know, it's it's just yeah. like that, that you can do whatever you... And so part of that experience mm -hmm. is is that feeling mm -hmm. and a certain level of confidence and entitlement mm -hmm. that comes mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. That when you're in this experience, like even mm -hmm. me, even though I didn't have, I didn't have that kind of wealth. My mm -hmm. parents didn't have that kind of wealth. But when you're in that experience, you can, like even many, many years later, you're not intimidated by anybody. You're just not intimidated, like the intimid intimidation factor is not there. You're not intimidated by wealth. You're not intimidated by power because, you know, you're like, you know, I knew people like you who were idiots when I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've got all the money in the world, but I remember when you pooped and you didn't flush the toilet. <laughs> it's like, it's, you're just another person. You're just like the guy, you know, you just have money. So it just is, it, it, so there's a certain level of, kind of conditioning outside of education that comes with that. Is it, is it something connected with, uh, with, with mindset? This is perhaps this idea that you, 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 you do develop a perspective that maybe there are no limits. Maybe you can do anything because you're surrounded well, by it, people. Uh, well, it definitely, you know, it definitely teaches that. I mean, you know, it definitely, the, the acculturation process, I think, is, is, for me, it's been very, very important because, like, for example, I, used, I lived in, like, the Bronx in New York, which is not the most affluent area in New York. And so I would see people who, frankly, were smarter than my people at school. So I had, like, lived in the bridge of these two different worlds. But as you go on, you see the differences of entitlements, you see the differences of life trajectories, and you see this kind of, like, intelligence not translate to success in our larger world. But who was like smarter? A lot of these kids in the Bronx were just smarter than these other kids. But then you have this academic training, you know. So you know who knows more biology? Well, by that time, yeah, this kid knows a lot more biology. This kid knows a lot more about integration and calculation. I mean, integration and differentiation and calculus and trigonometry. This kid doesn't know much about sines, cosines, and tangents, and this kid does, you know. But but that's a kind of level of acculturation that takes place. And it, it, so the idea of smartness, intelligence, who can like learn something faster, it doesn't translate into anything from in, in certain environments. Mm -hmm. it just is like, yeah, you, you know, you can like make jokes about my mother really, really, and make everybody laugh, but it's not mm -hmm. going to really get you a job. So how do, um, how do people around you react to your, your, your choices for, to, to educate your children yourself and take control of that? Is that positive or negative? What are your... Uh, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's more just neutral to skeptical to, um, <laughs> you know, it's, the bottom line is, is that, you know, I'm here in, in Kharkov, Ukraine, so most people outside of this place have never heard of this place, and most people in this place... Um, <laughs> Kind of just look at me as like a Martian, okay. you know. And they, so they see me, and I, um, you know, they have their stereotypes about me, whatever. But they, they, I, in a sense, challenge all the stereotypes because 
um, actually, our, their mother doesn't live with us. So basically, I'm like uh, a single dad. Not a single dad. I mean, have a relationship, but not with their mother who's living with us. So um, that alone, a man with two kids is like a big, big, big shocker. And so then, you know, there's this immediate idea that, oh, my God, like they must be lacking love. Like they don't have, you know, like there's, there's you know, where give me a hug. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. You don't have a woman to give you a hug. You know, and, it must be and, so difficult for you. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, they, they seem healthy, but, you know, where's the love? And it's kind of like, you know, they're, they're I love them, too, and, and they're happy. But when it comes to so then then immediately it's like you know so are they in school like okay well they don't have a mother but are they in school and um <laughs> the answer is no it's just like you see this kind of heart drop like oh my god i feel so sorry for these kids <laughs> you know and it's just that you know when are they going to school when are they going to school and you know if i say i don't really know it's not really a priority at all um you know they 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 do a lot like you know they they do quite a bit we do quite a bit it's just no in, interest in really understanding what that means just no interest in 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 asking me the quality of their life experiences what my values are what do they actually know it's just it just never the conversation never happens it's just the and there's almost this sense that like uh in a sense like a lot of people know that school isn't really the answer but they just want you to join in the club too. Like they, you know, it's like why, you know, uh, uh, what about their social skills? You know, and I, they say, you know, well, you're not really going to school to play so much because a lot of times you have to sit there and the teacher says things and you can't touch your friend, you can't talk to your friend. You have to sit there, be quiet, and raise your hand to answer something. So the socializing happens at lunchtime. The socializing happens in between classes. The socializing happens when you're doing a break. So it's not when you're doing the schooling part, it's in between the schooling parts. So how about you just do the social part outside of school? So like all the time outside with your friends, you can talk and play and touch somebody and you don't have to say, you know, listen to me. So how about 100% of that energy is directed to socializing? Just be social and play. Make friends, play, do social things, and, and just focus on that. And when we do school stuff, when we learn to read, we actually spend a lot of time with them, like one-to-one one one or one-to-two, so we can really focus on them reading or we really focus on what they're doing so that they actually learn that. So it's not boring because we're doing it together. So a lot of education happens through relationships. They'll learn whatever I want to teach them. Like if I want to teach them about mechanics or I want to teach – but because the thing is is that we have a good relationship and they like spending time with me. So what we talk about is not so important as the fact that we're talking, as the fact that we're together. And so – that's really, I think, the thing about education. That's why they've learned this languages to begin with. So I'm the only one in this whole nation who speaks lang who speaks English to them as a native speaker. And I'm the only one who speaks English to them pretty much at all. But they speak fluently. And why? Because of our relationship. So if I can learn an entire language, teach an entire language to them, you can certainly teach them little bitty subjects, you know, that are conveyed through that language itself. A langu learning language is a big thing. Yeah, of course, and the language will will open doors that other subjects will not. I mean, it opens it opens continents basically. Yeah, yeah. You, you learn to if 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 a child learns to speak Spanish, well, that's the whole of South America open to you. you, can, you yeah, can yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, also, there's a 
there's a financial difference for, for languages as well. I was reading that um, if you're in America and you learn German and speak German, you earn twenty to thirty thousand dollars more a year just because you have that yeah, language yeah, skill. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think you know, language skills are very important. I mean, I'm somebody who's studied studied many, many languages, so I think the language aspect is incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are we're in Slovakia, and we have to juggle a lot of different balls in terms of uh, the legal situation here for our, our homeschooling. Um, there's a lot of little hoops that we have to jump through, and uh, it's it, it varies a lot from country to country. I think from, from, from my last reading, I think there's only about... 15 or 16 countries in the whole world where you can actually homeschool mm -hmm. without some serious repercussion happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so how, does that affect you at all out there? Um, yeah, it does a little bit, but not really much at all because they, they, I found this option that's like internet schooling in Ukraine. So okay. it's basically um, homeschooling, but you're registered with the school. And you basically, they give you a curriculum of things you have to do for per grade, and you just have to do them, and you have to like take pictures and send them in uh, through the internet on the site. Uh, we have like a, maybe a monthly, or actually it was even less than monthly, but meeting through Skype with the teacher, and then they ask, you know, they conduct something in Ukraine, Ukrainian, they conduct a test in English, they talk in Russian. Uh, you know, they ask about they ask some math questions and things like this, and then they kind of give you a grade. And so yeah. they're registered in a, my my son as six years old. He's registered in the school, but the bottom line is the curriculum is like so basic that even when we had the interview for the school, my kid was answering all of the questions for the final exam at the end <laughs> of the first year yeah. in the interview. So it's just it's like nothing. So if that's like for me, perfect. They don't have to do anything, <laughs> you know. But you know, they like, you know, it's like, hello, what's your name? You know, and my kids say, my name is Steve. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, tell me something about yourself. And, you know, I, what you do. And so it's, and, and then the same thing in Russian, the same thing in Ukrainian. I said that we have a Ukrainian, you know, this babushku comes and helps teach them, teach them with Ukrainian. So Ukrainian, they are actually learning, but still, the pace, the expectations of the school is so low that it's like nothing so from the legal perspective they my son is enrolled in a school mm -hmm. so there's no so they have all of the the kind of uh, rights and privileges associated with being in school practically it's homeschooling mm -hmm. there's no classes there's no nothing yes. other than you know taking some pictures sending them in and having some meetings <laughs> similar situation here did, yeah did, did you did you always know that you wanted to homeschool Yes, yes, for a very long time, yes. Uh-huh, okay, okay. So it wasn't oh. like, oh my God, kids, uh, well, because uh, it's... No, I think, no I, I think it was, I mean, for me, you know, well, long before I even had kids, I knew what my parenting style was going to be. In fact, that's part of, part of the reason why I even left mm -hmm. the United States a long time ago. I left the United States 14 years ago because I figured it was a horrible place, environment to raise kids. So that was even long before I had my kids who were, you know, as I said, five and six years old. And and part of it is just the overwhelming level of bureaucracy and kind of nanny state um, paternalism that 
has to do with how kids are raised in the United States. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, do you feel that there's a big difference between uh, what would be the classical American education and classical uh, education around, say, this area of Europe where we live, Slovakia, the Ukraine? Yeah, I just think that in the United States, um, there's just a huge, in my own experience, as I explained, it shows just a huge dichotomy between what education is for people with money and without money. I think the public school system is just, you know, third world disgraceful in the United States for vast majority of that nation. While you do have some tremendously great but outrageously expensive schools there, um, I think that, you know, there's issues relating to food and genetically modified food that is significantly worse in the United States than almost any place in the world. I think there's the same situation with vaccination and a medical system that has just gone like a cancer over the entire nation that makes a healthy living, uh, particularly for children, nearly impossible. Um, so, is it is it true that there's some uh, some areas of the United States where when children go to school, they all have to be vaccinated? Or what? It, it, does it vary from state to state? Is there one general state? Yeah, it varies from state to state, but you know, the states generally follow the World Health Education recommendations uh, for vaccinations. And in certain states now, for example, California and both New York, there's mandatory vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this mean so- without parent consent? Well, I mean, in New York, they are sometimes giving vaccinations in schools without parents' consent. But in California, it's just required that, you know, you're not able to enter any uh, educational facility for kids without being vaccinated up to the the HWO, World uh, World Health Organization, Standards, not maybe not necessarily exactly, but still, mm-hmm. the level of vaccination in the United States is like way more excessive and uh, oppressive than in any other nation. Mm-hmm. So, particularly in Europe. So, I mean, I think that you know, there's a certain level of paternalism and nanny statism in countries in Europe, but in the United States is just like way, way worse. It's like the the standard by which mm-hmm. all of the nanny state measures in to well, well we know that the in the united states there's a large financial investment in education so why is it why is it not working <laughs> if there's um, so many people involved if there's so many people trained if there's so much well, money going yeah well that's part of the reason right so many people involved and so many people training that means that you pay a lot of people <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's the same thing like with, with I mean with healthcare or something like that you know it's like you have these insurance companies people are a lot of money going around but there's the but the emphasis is 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 more on it's not on quality so for example a big part of the reason why education is so messed up on the United States is because it's so driven on this quantitative assessment quantitative skills is test taking teaching to the test is a thing like that and so the the process of education has just been rendered into like you know taking tests and in, in, in schools that are given for example financial incentives to have a certain percentage of the kids pass a certain tests certain financial penalties and sanctions given on certain schools where the percentage fails to meet that standard and so it's 
for example, by contrast, you have a country that I also lived in, Finland, which is almost the exact opposite, where you have uh, the emphasis is not so much on standardized test taking on these quantitative assessments, but on a, a broader holistic idea of what education is, and then later test taking, and then the results end up that Finland does a lot better than, than any European country and one of the tops in the world along with like Singapore and China but and, and South Korea but it, it outperforms but because of the because of its emphasis on the quality of education and so I think that uh, that's the opposite of, of what's going on in the United States. Isn't it a little bit crazy that we have good models of education, for example, like Finland, but other countries don't seem to want to follow that lead? Um, well, I think, the, you know, the United States has an entirely different, um, I think it's driven, yeah, not approach, but yeah, I mean, I'd say philosophy or even, even history, in that Many nations view themselves as somewhat of a homogenous populace. Okay. So, you know, let's say, you know, Czech Republic or Slovakia, they view themselves as somewhat of a people. And so, uh, if you, in many countries, they, they kind of view themselves as that. Even, even, even diverse countries such as France, there's still a notion of, of being French. But with America, because of its, yeah, the what? Uh, oh, the Hot Wheels, the cars. Uh huh. I thought they were already out there. Uh -huh. Go play. Um, because of the particular history of the United States, uh, which has involved the use of of exploited people, whether they're Asian Americans building California railroads, whether they're the use of you know African slaves and slave labor, or the use of immigrant populations like Latin Americans coming in and picking tomatoes and doing things like that there's always been like uh, okay keep, you have to play with something else then until, until I think <laughs> then I can get them okay play with those trains then I've heard from doing something over there but yeah, well, we're quiet now yeah, we're, yeah. We, we expect to be interrupted by one of three kids at any point yeah <laughs> yeah so basically, because of the particular history of the United States, there's always been a desire for exclusion within the nation. Mm -hmm. So the nation has people who are not deemed as being entitled to enjoy the full benefits of the nation, which is different from many places that look of themselves as a people. So the, the, the history of the United States has always been trying to find creative ways to divide Americans within the United States itself. So that plays itself out through education. That partly explains why, you know, one school, my school would, you know, cost $40,000 and then the public schools are free. And who goes to those places? So that informs a lot of the policies, a lot of the penalties, a lot of the incentives, a lot of the policy in the United States, not just in education, but in every aspect of life there, to offer vastly different experiences among different target subsets of groups. That, yeah. That yeah, I was um, I was reading something about the the American education system. Is it true there wasn't really a a main education department until the Reagan era, and that education was no, no, that was a department of education from before that. Before that, okay. Yeah. 
Okay, shows how much I don't know, right? <laughs> there we go. Super. Um, you talked earlier about connection uh, being really important between parents and uh, and children. What do you think uh, are the best ways for parents to connect with their children? Basically, I think it's just time. Okay. I mean, I think time is the the biggest thing. Um, but at the same time, after that, I think it takes a certain level of emotional development of the parents themselves because. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have children for very different reasons at very different times of their life and, and expect, have vastly different expectations from their children and also have vastly different expectations about what being a parent is. So, for example, a lot of times you have people who have children because they want the children to fill an emotional void. Um, they want somebody to love them and they want somebody to love them unconditionally. And so that informs kind of the relationship, and often then, it, while you may have a strong relationship, it can sometimes be what I would view as a more parasitic or codependent relationship, where the mm -hmm. focus is as much on the parent getting something from the child as the parent giving something to the child in that mm -hmm. direction. Uh, and so, in a sense, I don't think that that paradigm is so particularly healthy. So, you know, the, obviously, the best way to form a relationship is through quality time together. But depending on the parent's own station in life and maturity mm -hmm. level and things like that, uh, I think there's much more than that that will qualitatively assess how healthy that relationship is for the child. Yeah, there's a there's obviously a difference between spending time with your kids and spending quality time. Yeah, with yeah, your kids. yeah. I mean, you know, obviously somebody who's an alcoholic has an alcoholic problem. They can spend a lot of time with the kid. It may not be the best thing for the kid. Yeah. So, how do um, how do you approach the idea of uh, teaching kids respect, or teaching kids to listen, or do we even need to teach kids to to do that? I th I think that we need to teach kids to listen. I think that I think mm -hmm. I also think we need to teach kids respect. I think that mm -hmm. uh, kids emerge from a very biologically determined place of egocentricity as babies worrying about themselves and they grow into more caring, nurturing people if they're lucky. And so parents I think are part of that process of looking outwards. You know, I think that when you're you know, from our historical development, the baby was just trying to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And so it's like me, 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 give me something to eat. You uh, know, maybe eat a rock, maybe eat a, you know, whatever I can get, I'm gonna put it in my mouth because I want to stay alive. Okay, we understand that. You know, I think we're as on our evolutionary journey. We're at a different place where, you know, uh, we have to temper those understandable egocentricity drives in order to foster more respect, cooperation, appreciation for, for example, animals, appreciation for other people, uh, ideas about ownership, things like that. And so, I, I think it's very important. How do we do that? I think it's just also spending time playing with children. I think that when we talk about socialization, that's really what it should mean, is you know playing with children, learning how to share, learning how to listen to rules when playing games. Um, also, as I said, you know we had a dog and learning how to take care of the dog and love an animal, love something other than even human, human beings is important. Um, you know, obviously, listening is something that is a challenge, but it's a challenge also for adults. So a lot of adults don't listen very well. So it's the constant process of, for me, 
uh, when I talk to my kids and I say something, ask, asking them to reflect and repeat what I've told them so that they can really see if they have listened and show me that they have listened. Um, and But it's something that, you know, is an, a, a very ongoing process. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think it's just a process of, of developing you know, an edu education for children. I would like to ask about discipline, because parenting mm -hmm. that's based on connection doesn't necessarily require a lot of it, <laughs> I think. So uh, do you find yourself in situations where you, where you feel that you should discipline your kids somehow? Or Sometimes I do, do and do they, yeah, when I do, mostly we do, like I tell them to, okay, if they do something and I really want them, I really am annoyed, they do push-ups, they do push-ups, push-ups, <laughs> okay. that's, that, that's interesting, yeah. someone, someone else here. <laughs> it's usually, you usually do it to make him refocus when he's too much, when he's too, you know, when yeah, his side I is think, too I think push -ups crazy. Are, I think push-ups are push a, good, yeah. a good thing. So yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but it seems to uh, it, it seems to get him to get get our, it seems to get our son to focus and channel channel into control some kind of energy that he's got it got got, got inside yeah, of it. Is it yeah. well, I, I think that you know I think that the idea is you know you have the carrot and the stick approach, and so I think sometimes that you know the stick it, it does sharpen them and say I don't want to do it, and they just focus more, they just concentrate more. Say so, oh you know they it's not even that you know it's like difficult for them to do, but they just know that it's a punishment, and the fact that it's a punishment means it gives them the incentive. I don't want a punishment. I want you to say great job. So they don't want the punishment. And then they, they just focus. So it's less about what the punishment is than the fact that they don't want any kind of negative repercussion yeah. in the form of a punishment. A okay, do ten sit-ups. They don't want to do it because they don't want to have like failed. And so then, if they don't want to fail, then they focus more, and then they generally, you know, get better results. You don't you don't worry that it's going to create some kind of negative uh, connection with physical activity like you know, no because we because all I tell them to do push-ups <laughs> when we exercise too so you know they I exercise very very much oh, okay. um, I we do push-ups together anyway okay. so <laughs> they it's not like that's the ex only part where they do them and they know that you know I do I do much more physical activity than that so they see that I like bust my butt. And so the little bit of push-ups that they do, they know it's like not uh, nothing okay. really negative. Yeah, for for some reason my son actually likes to do them. So um, <laughs> yeah, well, well, mine does too. But just depending on the situation, he doesn't want to do it when I tell him to do it like yeah. as a punishment. Then it's like you know, it's just it's just that the stigma of okay, it's a punishment, you know. Mm -hmm. But he can do them, and it's just the same. You know, yeah. if I tell him to do like you know, and we have these rings, gymnastics rings, I tell him to do five pull-ups. It's a lot harder than that, and you know. But I'm not doing that in a punishment situation, and he'll do them. But which does which does he struggle much more with? He struggles much more with five pull-ups than yeah. ten push-ups. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think our son can do one now, <laughs> <laughs> which is still better than me. <laughs> yeah, but we, you know, my daughter can't do any so <laughs> She just hangs there and jumps down. That's okay. Hanging is healthy. There you That's go. what I say. That's exactly what I say. Keep hanging, baby. Keep hanging. Yeah. <laughs> Hang as long as you can, and then yeah. she drops off. Good job, you have. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, what's your perspective on 
parents needing to, as they're being a parent, take care of themselves and look after themselves. Because a lot of parents can put a lot of energy into things, maybe not do it in the right way, maybe they can burn out. So so how do you, how do you look after yourself as a parent? Well, I think that, you know, um, I mean, I told you that, you know, I'm a, let's say, a, a lone caregiver, a lone primary caregiver, I would describe mm-hmm. it as. And so um, there was a point when they were, you know, not even that long ago, because my daughter is now only five, but when they needed a lot, a lot of attention, um, and I wasn't able to do that much, like, for myself, but in the past maybe, like, seven months or so, my daughter is at the age where she can be given much more time by herself, or at least playing with my son, and it was really at the, quite the beginning of this summer, like, maybe in April or May, that I said, okay, well, now I can, like, actually do more stuff for myself and so that allowed me then to like go back into like this big gym I've been very athletic for all my life and it allowed me to go back and try to get back in shape and then kind of getting back in shape triggered this like okay like I'm a fitness junkie again so so, um, I take care of myself by going to the gym and doing physical activity like every day and sometimes twice a day and they come with me to the gym for example and then they have books that they read or they color things and draw things um, while I'm working out and at the gym it's a kind of um, very large gym where they have like a little separate space for you where you can relax and drink coffee and things like that with large tables they just sit there and then talk and read and write and draw while I do my exercise, so um, I'm kind of within, you know, they're within my visible sight line, and they're having fun. I'm not, you know, like a helicopter over them. I'm sweating, doing my thing, and it's a great activity for us. Where, and then I've, I've been able to enjoy over the past, let's say, a few months. Um, and then in the summer, I was doing much more stuff outside when the weather was nice, and so as a result. Uh, I'm in maybe better shape now than I've been in past like seven, eight years. Uh, oh, that's great. Physical activity is, you know, my my big. What do I do for myself? Answer. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's also um, what a great idea to maybe have uh, like a family area in gyms or a kids area, which while well, the parents are like like training. Yeah, the, it's the not even a, a kids area. It's just like an area where people just hang out, like they just get tired and hang out. But it's just it just works out enough and it's big enough and it's a yeah. brand new gym that they don't even have that many members. So it's mm-hmm. just like it's not crowded at all. Mm-hmm. The gym just opened up like a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. and so they go there and there's like nobody there. So you have this huge gym and then this huge area where you can hang out and there's just nobody there so they sit there and they're not bothering anybody mm-hmm. nobody else is pretty much sitting there yeah. and so it just works out to be the perfect thing i don't know if it was designed for kids at all <laughs> but it just works out that it's perfect for for my needs do they try to join you because i, I do something similar with my kids and my almost three-year-old always tries to join in well that's the difference between the like for me that's the difference between like where i was before and now so at three years old my my daughter would have had no boundaries and just run around but at five years old she can actually knows that that's not really what i want i want her to sit there and and so that's the difference the difference is now i can really i don't have to worry about her just running and jumping on me you know and so it gives me a little more 
opportunity than I had even when she was four. So for me, that's that's the difference of why now versus a year ago. What are the um, what are, what are the greatest lessons that you've learned from the parenting experience? Because I think that we all we all are challenged. We all uh, reach hopefully new levels of, of understanding about about life and about uh, human development when we have children. So um, how did that? How did having children change change your perspectives? And is there any advice you could offer other parents? Well, I think that. Uh I think any person will tell you that parenting changes their perspective. I think that the difference is, is how their perspective changes. So obviously for me, like everybody, my perspective changed a lot. But how it changed, I think, is that I just realized, uh, oh, I guess, you know, the kind of, you know, um, just how big of a job it is if you really want to do it right. Um, yeah. I think I think that just how big of a how big of a commitment and investment that you might want to make. Okay, she got to change the nappy. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Just how big of a commitment you might it might need to make if you want to do it, you know, right. And um, it's a big, you know, it's a big job, and I don't think that everybody is quite ready to do it at a way in which they might dream of doing or hope they're doing. I think it's a little harder than people than people expect, people realize. Yeah, again, it's um, we all we all realize it's something that a lot of us are not prepared for, a lot of us are not trained for, a lot of us are not ready for. It's a bit like the uh, the sort of swimming analogy where you can read a book about swimming, but you know, getting in the water and actually doing the activity is uh, is a little bit different. Um, how does it? As as a parent, I'm always trying to. You know, self-analyze. Am I doing the right thing? Is it working? So, what advice do you have for parents in knowing if what they're doing is actually working or su- successful? Is well, I think that you know, it's a process of of being uh, making self-assessments and assessing things every day. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a. I think it's a constant, constant evaluation. Every day, you have to evaluate what works today is not mm-hmm. is not the same as what's going to work tomorrow and. By definition, if it worked today, you need to maybe change it up. You need to offer a little variation tomorrow. So it's it's a constant, constant process of self-evaluation, evaluating your kids and what their needs are, and and just this, just the word constant just keeps popping in my head because that's what it really is: is constant evaluation, constant assessment, and, and the exact opposite of complacency. It's just never thinking that. It's just it's just everything is okay. I mean, everything may be fine today, but then tomorrow it's a new challenge to make it work tomorrow also. So it's just the notion of being ready for constantly challenging yourself, constantly challenging your kids, not in terms of creating challenges for them, but trying to create an environment where they can kind of grow and develop on a daily basis. Yeah, so it's uh, habits of consistency, basically. Well, I'm not sure because I, I think the consistent thing is is trying to be a little bit inconsistent. I think that um, I think consistency is is actually damning. I think it's. Uh, okay. I, I think I mean there's obviously there's no easy answer because on a certain level 
kids crave and need consistency on a certain level, but they also need variation. Okay. So you need to obviously about like essential kind of life-sustaining elements. You need to be consistent. You need to sleep a certain amount every day. You obviously need to eat. You need to try to you know th- those things need to be consistent. But I'm talking about on the next order. The as you get to the upper order of human existence, then you need some variation. You need something, you know, you just something constantly. Just like, for example, I was just giving you the example of exercising, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can be fat and start working out, and then you're going to see like great gains, results. Mm-hmm. Doing anything, doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was watching some video about some guy who was like 800 pounds and he was like an internet troll and then somehow he got arguing with some people, weightlifters and started talking about himself and hating himself and they said, dude, if you're just that fat, you just need to like flap your arms and you'll start losing weight. Just <laughs> flap your arms and you'll start losing weight. And then he did and then he became like, you know, in shape. So it's a story of how you go from 700 pounds to back to, you know, being a normal human being. And so it's like if you just start doing something, anything, you'll see gains. But there's a certain point when, like, you're, let's say, in shape, where if you do the same thing, you're not really going to see much results. You need to change it a bit. So if you're like a, 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 a marathon runner, you know, then the 10th mile and the 20th mile and 26th mile is not going to be that much different. You, you, you start lifting weights, you're going to see some changes. <laughs> you know? yeah. But the 21st to the 22nd mile is nothing. But for everybody else, running a mile is like hard. Yeah. But these guys run the 22nd mile faster than you can run, period. <laughs> you know? But if they lift weights, maybe they're going to be like, whoa, wow, you know, I, my muscles are really reacting. And so I think that it's that kind of thing. You do something consistently, 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 it's going to have less value added, so you need to try to change things up to develop, you know, other aspects of the child's existence and experience. Yeah, yeah and as we as we grow, we need to have new experiences as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's a balance of like consistency versus change. So it's not that consistency is bad, you know, but I think that people often maybe over rely on it. So if you create something consistent, they just kind of rely on it. And then it then offers less and less for the person involved in that process as they become more and more comfortable. People need to be taken out of their comfort zone as well, especially children too. Yeah, if you do the same things today that you did yesterday, you will have the same day, basically. Yeah, and you know, it's, for example, why, why traveling is so life-altering for children and adults, because they're taken out of their environment, taken out of their comfort zone, and their stimulus, they're, they're all, this new stimulus is like just in, invigorating and engaging, seeing, listening to new languages, seeing new architecture, eating new kinds of foods, seeing streets that you've never seen before. All of these experiences, like people go like, wow, wow, wow. And that's the opposite. Traveling is the opposite of consistency. Uh-huh. So did, um, have your children traveled a little bit? Around yeah, they traveled a lot. Like my children have been to my son has been to 13 countries my children my daughter 11 wow and we're in, in a week less than a week we're going to egypt and a month ago we were just in turkey wow so that... literally literally on the 21st we'll be in mm-hmm. egypt the 21st in five days wow that sounds warm <laughs> yeah. yeah just last month four weeks ago we were in turkey 
Yeah, so there's, so, be... there's so much involved in travel as well. There's, there's yeah. the preparation, the planning, the, 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 the packing. There's, yeah, you know, the packing takes just like one the, the night before, the day before. <laughs> the pack. Oh. <laughs> I just. I don't pack anything when I go anywhere. I'm just like, the bag, off we go. Yeah, I, I spend more time worrying about my kids and not forgetting, you know, their underwear or their socks than yeah. anything else. Because it's like, okay, you know, this dress, these pants, this shirt, this, this. Oh, I forgot the underwear. <laughs> oh, I forgot the socks. <laughs> Where am I going to find socks? Why do I want to buy socks? I don't want to buy socks on vacation. <laughs> Baby socks. <laughs> that's yeah. when you need your, your kids running around after you going dad have you got this did you get no that? that's you now we've tried to say we've traveled <laughs> enough now that it's like you know i don't forget those things i actually like pack them first wear the socks <laughs> underwear first and then everything else <laughs> Essentials first. Essentials first. Things there, like I'm, I might forget first. As long as you got clean underwear, it's okay. Well, you know, you can go wearing many days wearing one pair of jeans. You don't want to go many days with one pair of underwear. Oh my God, that's so true. That's so true. Well, we would. Um, we, we would like to thank you very much for for giving us giving us this time today and sharing your experiences and, and well your, thank uh, you for asking it's you know it's uh, nice to share ideas about parenting it's you know it's, it's a very unique project that you guys are doing i don't know who's going to watch our interview but it's still an enjoyable just enjoyable just to talk well we don't know either <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm saying just you know it's just a a nice chance to talk about parenting period regardless yeah. of who and how and, many and, we, and we find it very enriching to to you know meet other perspectives and yes yeah encounter yeah. new ideas I, I find that the, the this opportunity to focus on parenting is is very important for me because in my relationships with other people of course i have i have friends and i have colleagues that i communicate a lot with but we we don't nail it down on parenting in our communication we talk about general very very general things and yeah. and i think it's it's nice to go a little bit deeper into these topics it's nice well to i think a, that i just want to say one thing i think in this internet age like you know i was just i watched an incredibly great video about a guy who is one of the founders of facebook mm -hmm. but he left and he was saying that facebook is destroying society like it's mm -hmm. destroying society um, because people aren't engaging with others the way that we used to. And so for me, like just having the chance to talk for an hour or so and is the kind of engagement that maybe we would have had much more before Facebook. Maybe not with you exactly, maybe with somebody outside in, in this area. But the idea of talking about things deeply, of face-to-face, -face, even though it's through a screen, communication is different than you, is different from the writing experience. The writing experience where somebody is like, you know, fuck you, blah, blah, excuse my French, but that's what okay. often happens, is like reading and engaging through the writing process is different than like talking, like for example, just even then, if I said like, fuck you, I apologize a little bit. Whereas I probably wouldn't apologize if I wrote it in a post. Uh, <laughs> just be like, you know, if you don't like it, don't read the post. <laughs> you know? But there's a different relationship when we're talking. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that relationship is nice to even, even if nobody watched it, the mere act of getting together and talking is really quite nice. What, what do you guys? Yeah, I think that the, 
Can you get what? We're going to save the cashews for tomorrow. I'm going to make you something to eat soon. I'm going to make some cereal and a couple minutes. It's just not the same way. Give me like two minutes and then I'll be there for you guys. When people are writing. Yeah, my experience of the writing is you look at people's posts and they're not communicating with each other. That they're, they're, they're writing to themselves, basically, yeah. a lot of the time. Or they're writing to somebody else who just wants to give them a like. <laughs> they're writing for somebody who wants to give them affirmation. So they're yeah. talking to the person, but they realize that there's this group of other people who will then join in and say, yeah, you're smart. Yeah, you're cool. Yes, I'm with you. So it's definitely not talking to one another, but it's talking to others, but in the moments of like, affirm me. I'm representing you in this post. So like my post, say that I'm right. I'm right. You're This guy is wrong. But it's definitely not just talking to one another. Yeah, I, yeah, I, think, we should, I think we should go for the, for the thing that is harder, and it's generally harder to say something face-to-face -face than to write it down. And I also I, I even find that in languages, you said that you speak a lot of different languages, I find some things harder to say in my own, you know, in my mother tongue, in my language, than I find it to say it in English, because there's more of me, it's like more honesty, you know, saying uh. it in my language. <laughs> So, okay, but why I, is that harder for you? For me, it's easier for that very same reason. <laughs> for me, it's no, no, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about personal communication. When you're trying to communicate okay. something really personal, like okay. you're going to say somebody I love you, it's easier to do that in English. You know. For me, it's the opposite. For me, it's English to do in English too. But because it's my mother language, if I say I love you in another language, it's more like it's not me. Like I wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's basically what I'm talking about from from a different point of view, right? Um, it's uh -huh. more personal if if you if you say it in your language for for me. So no, I so definitely it's, more personal. It's like that with with typing and speaking face to face as well. It's just yeah, easier yeah. To type, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, for me, I don't know because I think it's for me. I think it's just, I don't know if it's easier or harder, but I think it's just. I think for me, this kind of communication for me is actually easier. It's 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 nice actually just going to the basic thing of just looking at somebody and talking in real time what you're thinking, kind of unfiltered, no keyboard, no typing, no punctuation, just talking. So for me, it's much more rewarding and, and even easier, even on a difficult subject like parenting, because so rarely do I feel that we get the chance to actually express ourselves okay. like by having real conversations and just talking, like expressing ourselves. <laughs> yeah, there's. For me, I always feel that there's a lot happening. You know, the, the parenting is sort of what happens with with people at, at at home behind closed doors. No one really sees what yeah, goes. Oh, goes, definitely, definitely goes on. And uh, you know, I'm always trying to pick up pieces pieces of advice. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to see things from from a different perspective. It's uh, for example, what you what you just said about Facebook. I know over the next week I'm going to be thinking about that, you know, that that principle of likes which 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 annoys and frustrates me because in a normal conversation you wouldn't ever you, I don't I don't think you would go around looking for likes. In a normal conversation, you would. But that's what this founder of Facebook was saying. It's a, it provides a dopamine rush, so it's a, it triggers. It's like this effect that it has that we're looking for it. So we may not even be realizing that we are looking for the likes ourselves. And when we get it, we're like rewarded, like oh, you you got a zinger, or you're smart, or yes. So that process of this kind of dopamine rush is what he's saying is is going to like destroying. 
ourselves and destroying society that he, in a sense, he says he regrets being a part of. Like he regrets being a part of. He calls it shit. He says, I don't go on that shit. In the past 10 years, I maybe made like, you know, five posts and I don't let my kids go on that shit. Yeah. And this is the founder of it. He's like a billionaire. And it, yeah, it annoys me when things become a numbers game. When it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm on here to see if I've got 17 and they've got 25 and somebody else has got 64. It's like no, that's yeah. that's not the point. The point. Yeah. Is, well, anyway, even on another side, but but even that conversation, I actually did just post it. Like I watched it like last night and I posted it this morning. So it's worth listening to to get <laughs> ideas about this because this guy is pretty. He talks about more than this and he talks for an hour. And it's worth listening to. But just on that part of like the psychological aspects of Facebook, it's kind of like a little trippy. But he talks about a lot of other things as well. But going back to the point is that I just I really do appreciate the the interaction that we have. And there is like another person in my area who has like spotted me and um, my parenting style. And we often get together for dinner. And we maybe once every two or three weeks and they have a have a daughter who the parents have placed her in like a very expensive school in Kharkov, you know, by Kharkov standards, like a couple hundred dollars a month. But by Kharkov standards, it's a lot. Um, and we get together and talk, and we talk about parenting and parenting styles. So it's 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 nice that I even have somebody in this little, you know, real world circle that we talk about these things with. But it's nice talking about them with you. And we're talking in English, and there we talk in Russian. Okay, super. Well, that's... Uh it's it's always nice to we need those connections. Those connections yeah. help us help us help us breathe. Yeah. Help us help us help us grow. They 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 reaffirm the positive things that that we do as and well. And so for me, as for me, like having watched that video and everything, that's what I'm saying. Like even if nobody watches it, mm-hmm. it's nice that we had the conversation. Like it's nice that we just just for it, it itself, like it itself, <laughs> is the process of just talking yeah. because we've lost that. Okay, super cool. So stay on the line for a second. Stay on the line. We're going to do okay. a little little bit of our conclusion now, which is to okay. say, of course, everyone says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, I don't know if there's a, uh, I don't know if you've got a, a website or anywhere where people can get in touch with you if they want to ask you anything or your... Just your, Facebook page, of course. Just Facebook page. Okay. Okay, that's cool. If people are interested in what we do, it's the Academy of Language Therapy and Life Coaching. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, the website is nsa-slovakia.com. And you mine are... is 21centurymum.com. Yeah, oh, wow. And, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, read, read her blog posts, because, especially if you're a guy out there, read her blog posts, because, because I, it really gives me a different perspective on... The things that are happening here that I don't see. Things that are happening here that you don't. That I don't see as well. It's really nice to get that perspective. So, thanks very much for the time. Thanks very much to anyone who's watching, and um, we'll catch up with you at some point soon. If you've got any questions, leave them for us online, and we'll try to deal with them. Uh, we'll try to give you advice. And uh, wherever you are, we wish you a fantastic. Day. So, um, Stephen, wave bye bye to everybody online. Thank you very much. <laughs>